0: now it's about this uh, fanatical Alabama fan named Harvey Updike that poisoned the trees on the campus of Auburn University. You heard of this story? It is quite a story. If you're not a college football fan, pardon me for the next five minutes. I find it fascinating. But this was an interview with Harvey Updike, a 62-year-old polite man, husband, husband, Grandfather to 16 grandchildren, distinguished and retired Texas State Trooper, an Alabama fanatic, absolutely eaten up with a passion for the Tide. His 33-year-old daughter is named Crimson Tide. His son is named Bear Bryant. When Harvey was 19 years old, he ran onto the field of a college football bowl game Carrying a roll of toilet paper and a box of tide. Roll Tide. He owns 46 Alabama hats. His dog's names are Bama and Nicky, after Nick Saban. He has tried to convince his wife for years now to bury him in Crimson whenever he dies. She's so far refused. Harvey loves Alabama football and is willing to sacrifice almost anything for his devotion. But the greatest sacrifice of all came in January of this year, when after watching Auburn win the national championship, filled with anger and rage because his enemy was triumphing, uh, also provoked by what he thought was cheating on the part of Auburn, Harvey Updike collected a couple gallons of Spike 80DF, which if you don't know what that is, it's an extremely powerful herbicide, guaranteed to kill anything it comes in contact with. And Harvey went to the campus of Auburn University, to the most venerated site on campus, Tumors Corner, where there are these 150-year-old oak trees standing, beautiful spot on campus, and it's a It's a tradition after every Auburn victory that the whole campus, they roll these trees. Roll them with toilet paper. And that's a symbol of the university. It's their most prized place on campus. And so Harvey goes to this site, pours out this powerful herbicide at the roots of these trees, and the trees are almost surely going to die. That wasn't enough for Harvey. Harvey needed, he needed the Auburn people, to know what was going to happen. And so Harvey, a couple days later, calls up the Paul Feinbaum Show, which if you're not from the state of Alabama and if you're not a football fanatic, means nothing to you. But if you are from Alabama and you're a football fan, you know that this means everything to you. The Paul Feinbaum Show is a sports radio show that is patronized by all the Alabama and Auburn fans in the state of Alabama. They listen to it. Eight hours a day, five days a week. This is the forum for the whole state. It matters for all of life to these people. And so Harvey calls up the Paul Feinbaum show under the alias of Al from Dadeville, which is where he's from. Harvey is very intelligent, gives away his hometown. And so he calls up under his alias and proceeds to tell them what he had done and signs off with the moniker, Roll Tide, and hangs up the phone. Of course, the entire Auburn community goes berserk in an instant. The radio show lights up. The whole town goes nuts. They begin testing the water supply. The fears are that it's going to seep into the water supply of the town. There are plans to dig up the entire portion of their campus, five feet of topsoil must be removed because it has so destroyed everything. The whole place went nuts because of what Harvey, Harvey has done. Harvey has sacrificed everything for his devotion to Alabama football. He sacrificed his time, his money, his family, and soon his freedom. See, Harvey has been indicted on four felony counts of criminal vandalism and destroying a venerated object. So Harvey almost for certain will soon be going to jail. But Harvey still insists unremorsefully that he is the victim and that Auburn is out to get him as a way to cast and divert attention off of their cheating this year. So Harvey gives us a quite vivid example of whatever your ultimate devotion is to, that's what you sacrifice for. It's just natural. So if your ultimate devotion is to success, you will sacrifice everything in order to have it. You'll sacrifice your time, your money, your relationships, and sometimes in the end, even your ethics, your morality. If your ultimate devotion is to your children, you will sacrifice everything in order to provide for them what you think they need. If your ultimate devotion is to your image, you will spend everything you have all of your time on crafting the perfect image that others will appreciate. Whatever we sacrifice for reveals what our ultimate devotion is. And so I wonder for us, what would the people in our life say our ultimate devotion is to? If we were to ask those people in our life, the people that are close to us, that really know us, that see us all of the time, if we were to go around and ask the people in our life, what do you think my ultimate devotion is? I want you to tell me. What kind of things would we hear? I suspect that I would probably hear things like, well, your ultimate devotion is to your comfort because I see you sacrificing for it. I'd probably hear that sometimes, maybe from my wife. <laughs> or others might say your, your ultimate devotion, I see in, in these instances, it's what others think of you. Because I see how you sacrifice to manage what others think of you. Others might say it's your, it's your leisure, it's your entertainment. Sure, some people might say your devotion is to Christ. But many would say other things. What about you? If you were to ask the people in your life, what do you think my ultimate devotion is to? What kind of things would they say? See, because I think most of our lives are pretty compartmentalized. There's are certain areas in our life where it's very clear what our devotion is to. Like, like for us, you know, the spiritual areas of our life, we say, yeah, my devotion here is obviously to Christ and I'm willing to sacrifice here. But then there's other compartments, other areas of our life that are almost entirely separated. And in those areas, we sacrifice not for this devotion that we profess to Christ, but for all of our other devotions. I think the ultimate question for us as a people is, why is our faith not more characterized by sacrifice? I mean, most of us here would say my ultimate devotion is to Christ. So why is our faith not more characterized by sacrifice? Why instead is our life characterized by all kinds of other sacrifices in areas of our life? So what we're going to see this morning The Apostle Paul in this passage calls us to an ultimate, total devotion to Christ. We're going to see that it's beholding the ultimate sacrifice of Christ that frees us to live lives of total sacrifice to God and to one another. And so we're going to see how Paul calls us to be living sacrifices, practically what that looks like, and then finally we're going to look at the power of Christ's sacrifice to change us. So let's look together at a passage. Romans 12, 1. You notice right off the bat, Paul has this word there, therefore. Therefore is an important word. Therefore is a connector word. It, it means uh, we're not leaving this subject to go to an entirely different one. It means that what I'm about to say is connected to what I've just been working on. Some people say if you see a therefore, you ought to ask, what's the therefore there for? Why is it here? What's it connecting us to? And for Paul, it is connecting to what he's about to say to what he's been talking about in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Verse 1 of chapter 12 is a pivot for the book of Romans where Paul in the first 11 chapters has been exploring the wonders of the gospel, the wonders of what Christ has done and what that means for those who are united to him, that we have a new identity, and a new life, and a new inheritance. And Paul is exploring all of these things, fleshing out their implications. But here we get to chapter 12, and Paul is going to begin to say, in light of that, this is how you should live. In light of the gospel, in light of what Christ has done, and what's now true of you, this is how you're to live. And so that's what the therefore is there for. And so Paul in this verse is going to give us a summary of how we are to live in response to the gospel, in response of what Christ has done. And this is what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Paul is saying here, this is what your call is. This is how you're to live, to offer your bodies to God. Now, he's not just talking about bodies here. He's... Speaking of bodies to reference all of you. So Paul is saying, offer all of yourself to God. Your life, your day-to-day, your heart, your affections, your mind. Offer everything to Him as a living sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice because what He's calling us to is a continual, day-by-day offering of all that we are, all that we have unto God as a spiritual act of worship. That's what Paul's calling us to here. That is how a summary of how we're to live. The language that Paul uses here of sacrifice, of offering, he's drawing from the Old Testament, from Old Testament worship. What was central in Old Testament worship is that a worshiper would bring a sacrifice into the temple. As we mentioned earlier, sacrifice was all about your devotion because what you're doing in sacrifice is you're bringing something that had value to you. It was important to you. And you're bringing it before the Lord and you're relinquishing it to Him as an expression of your devotion. It's a way of saying, God, you are more valuable to me than anything that belongs to me. And because it's not just lip service, I'm going to show it by offering you my best. The sacrifices that the Israelites were to bring were not to be just the discarded things, no, it was to be their best. It was to be the best of the flock. It was to be the first fruits of their crop. They were to bring their best to Him to express their worship to Him. And this is how it would work in the worship. They would bring a sacrifice. They would lay their hands upon the sacrifice, specifically with the animal sacrifices, and they would confess their sins. And it would symbolically place their sins upon this animal that was now going to take their place. And then they would take a knife and they would sacrifice it before the priest. The priest would collect the blood from the sacrifice and he would turn around and he would pour it on the altar. He would make atonement. He would make the worshiper and a holy God one again. That's what the sacrifice did. That's what the blood did. The animal took the place. And so this is what characterized their worship in the Old Testament. And so what Paul is saying here, as he now speaks to us as those in union with Christ, No longer in the Old Covenant, but in the New. He says, now your worship, your devotion is to be so much greater than Old Testament believers. Your devotion is to be an offering, not of your things only. It's to be all of you. All of your life. He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices day by day. Laying down all that you have, all that you are, offering it to him in worship. Paul says, this is your spiritual act of worship. He's calling us to a total consecration of self to the Lord in all of our lives. You know, I see this so vividly played out in the lives of our missionaries. I get to chair our missions committee, and um, as all of our, uh, the folks on our missions committee will will tell you we have got some fantastic missionaries that we get to be a part of what they're doing. And just the other day, I was reading the blog of one of our missionaries, one of the wives there. It's Maggie Iverson, and they're serving in India, and she was just sharing about the day-to-day difficulties, sacrifices that they're enduring, and what God is doing in them in the midst of their hardship. And it was absolutely compelling to see the testimony of their life offering everything unto the Lord. Of course, it also makes me think of stories of great missionaries who sacrifice so much and their story is so compelling as we see their devotion to Christ. I think of Jim Elliott. You're the story of Jim Elliott, the missionary to Ecuador in 1956. He and four companions, along with their wives, had been preparing for years to leave their home culture in America and go to the rainforest of Ecuador. You see, there was an Indian tribe there called the Aka Indians. They were renowned throughout South America for how savage they were. They were totally unreached with the gospel. In fact, the word Aka means savage. But because of their devotion to Christ and their desire for Him to be made known, they with great joy planned for years to take the gospel to Ecuador. Finally, the day came where they flew in and landed on a riverbank in the center of the rainforest. And as they come in and they deplane and they begin to walk into the jungle, they're met by the Indians, the Aka Indians, and they spear them to death right there on the banks of the river. A few days later, before that, Jim Elliot had written this in his diary. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, To gain what he cannot lose. You see what Jim Elliot was saying is. He is not a fool. Who trades what we have in this passing life. Life. Comfort. Ease. Security. Who trades that for the inheritance of the world that Christ is bringing. It's the best trade you can imagine. It's worth it. So Jim Elliot says. He is no fool who makes this trade. And he did. In the wake of their sacrifice, thousands and thousands of missionaries were raised up and sent to the field. In fact, hundreds of missionaries were sent to Ecuador. They took the gospel to the Alca Indians. And in a number of years, the tribe was reached with the gospel. Their sacrifice compelled so many to step up and leave all that they had known and all of their comfort to take the gospel to places it hadn't been known Probably the greatest sacrifice among these group of men was the sacrifice that their wives made. The day after their bodies were found, the wife of one of the men, Roger Eudarian, her name's Barbara, wrote this in her journal as she learned of Roger's death. She said, two days ago, God gave me this verse, Psalm 48. We read this earlier. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. That was the verse that he had given to her. And she says this, When I came face to face with Roger's death, my heart was filled with praise. With praise. He was worthy of his home going. Help me, Lord, to be both mummy and daddy. What sacrifice. What would lead someone to talk like this? But one of the things for us to see here, and what Paul is showing us, is that he's not calling for this kind of living sacrifice just in a special class of Christians. He doesn't say, okay, I got a message for you missionaries out there, okay? Everybody else take a break. You know, chill out, you're good. Okay, missionaries... I want you to be a living sacrifice. The rest of you, you're good. Don't worry about it. Easy street. He doesn't say that at all. He's speaking to all of us. In other words, this is normal. This is for all of us, no matter what your calling is, no matter where you've been placed. This is for us. In fact, he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, this is what worship looks like for the one in union with Christ. It's a life offered totally unto God, laid down before him. The word there for spiritual, that's translated spiritual, actually means rational. In other words, Paul's saying, it's the, this is what makes sense. This is the only reasonable kind of response. Whenever you see the gospel and what Christ has done and what is now true of you because of what he's done, this is the only reasonable response, is to offer all of your life unto him. So this call for total consecration is not just for special Christians. It's for us. In all of the places we've been called. In no matter where you've been placed, no matter where your work is, no matter what you're called to do, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter where you live, what culture you're in, he calls you to be a living sacrifice unto Christ. Christ. To offer all of yourself to him, to offer all of your time to him, all of your money to him, all of your family to him, saying, Here, it's yours. My children, they belong to you. My future, it belongs to you. My money is yours. Do with it what you wish. It now belongs to you. That's what he's calling us to here. So I think the problem for us is we do just the opposite. As I was saying, we tend to compartmentalize our lives. We have this divide between our secular and our sacred lives, right? This is my spiritual life over here. And here, I'm going to be devoted to you. I mean, I'm going I'm to go to church. I'm going I'm to read my Bible. I'm going to pray to you whenever I'm a, around those people. Like, I'm going to be real nice, right, most of the time. You know, whenever I'm here, I'm spiritual. I'm devoted to you. But yet, there's these other... Areas of our life that tend to be huge like our family or our work or where we play and all of these things and they're totally separate. And we cannot imagine how does my devotion to Christ impact me here. And so we make this separation. And so our experience on a day like Sunday in an hour like this is totally different than our experience throughout the week. What Paul is saying is, Oh, no, no. Don't you see? Offer it all to him. No matter where you are in the ordinary and mundane details of your life, let it be an offering to him saying, Lord, how can I bring you honor in my work today? in the way that I interact with my employees, in the way that I interact with my customers, in the way that I interact with my children and my home, in the way that I go to play and enjoy and experience entertainment, how can it be an offering to you? A sacrifice of praise to you. How can I be a living sacrifice here? That's the kind of thing that Paul's calling us to here. So for some of us, we like... Real big picture kind of stuff. That's kind of big picture of Paul saying this is what your life is to be like. Be a living sacrifice. But some of us are like, yeah, but give me some details here. Tell me what this is supposed to look like. Well, luckily, that's exactly what Paul does for us. Because after he moves from verse 1, he begins to flesh out what does it look like to be a living sacrifice? What are the areas of my life that get changed, that get consecrated? What kind of things might one do if they were an offering unto God? And that's what he's talking about, beginning in verse 2. Verse 2, he refers to being a living sacrifice through renewing our minds. Look at what he says here. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Paul says, first and foremost, what it means to be a living sacrifice is to be changed in the way that you view things, in the way that you see things. He says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, how the world evaluates things. Don't look at things in the same way. Don't prioritize the things in the same way. Rather, be renewed and look at everything differently. So how does the world evaluate things? Well, you know, in the world, what matters is power. It's money. It's not about what you give, it's about what you get. It's about being first. It's about image, right? It's not about what's real, it's only about what things appear to be. So it's about your image. So what do you look like? Or what do you have? Or what do you do for a living? I mean, that's what matters in this world. But what Paul is saying is, no, be renewed in your mind. So that you begin to evaluate things according not to this world, but according to the new world that Christ is bringing. Renew your mind according to the coming kingdom of Christ, where priorities are totally different, where things get turned upside down or rather right side up, where love reigns, where it's not about what you get, no, it's about what you give, where you're not seeking to be first, you're seeking to be last to promote others, to lift others up. It's not about appearance, but it's about what's real. It's not about faking it, it's about being authentic, about who you are and honest and real. It's about love. It's about people in positions of power using their power not to glorify themselves, but to benefit those that are under them. Those are the priorities of the new world that Christ is bringing. And so we are to be a people that live in this world as people belonging to a world that is coming. And we are to be the agent that brings the priorities of heaven into this world. So the first thing Paul says is, be transformed, be renewed in the way you see everything. Secondly, to be a living sacrifice means you are committed to the community of faith. I would not expect him to go here, but he does. He says, just as each one of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So what he calls us to here after he moves from renewing our minds is to be living sacrifices through the way that we are committed to one another. That's a shocker that that's so high on the list here because we live in such an individualistic culture that it's like, commitment to one another, is that high? But for Paul, he says, to be a living sacrifice means everything for how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. He uses this metaphor to describe the church. So he says, you're like a human body. And you got all these parts, right? Right? And no part has any value alone. You take your meaning through your union with one another. And so the same is true if you've got a really impressive arm. If you cut it off, it's not that impressive, is it? It's useless. It only has its meaning no matter... You know, he, he speaks about thinking, your, thinking of yourself with sober judgment here in verse 3. Through looking at one another with humility. Because we all have different gifts. We're different body parts. Some are visible body parts, and some are not. And he says, listen, you don't belong to yourself. The gifts that you've been given have been given for the benefit of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So being a living sacrifice says, I offer myself, my gifts, my time to you. I belong to you. I belong to this group of people where I see their warts, and some of them drive me crazy, and we're so di- different in so many ways. But I belong to you. I only have meaning through being united to you. And so he goes through and he begins to talk about people that have different kind of gifts. And everybody's got gifts. That's what the Spirit does whenever you're united to Christ. He just scatters these gifts. Nobody has them all. And that's on purpose. So that we have to rely upon one another. And so some people have the gift of teaching. And he says, let them teach in a way that they see themselves serving the people under them, not trying to make a name for themselves. If your gift is service, do it quietly without having to have all the the fanfare and acknowledgement. Just quietly serve one another. If it's encouragement, go after it. Encourage people as hard as you can. If it's leading, govern diligently in a way that causes your people to flourish, not that says, I'm in charge here. You see what he's saying? He's saying, He says to be a living sacrifice means everything for how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. It means saying, I don't belong to myself. I've been given gifts that I have to offer to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says, that's being a living sacrifice. And then thirdly, in verses 9 through 21, he he moves on to talk about another facet. Of being a living sacrifice. And it's radical love for everyone. Look at the kind of things he says. Love must be sincere. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Practice hospitality with one another. The way that a living sacrifice and offering yourself to God gets played out. It's all relational. It's all in how we treat one another. That's what's most significant in offering ourselves to God. He says, "Love one another deeply, sincerely. Be devoted to each other. If somebody is, if somebody's struggling and mourning, we'll just mourn right along with them. And if somebody's rejoicing and something God's doing something awesome in their life, we'll rejoice with them. Be one. Be authentic with each other. Be real. Pursue real relationships with one another." And show hospitality to one another. And not just to people, not just to important people. Right? If you have someone in, into your home and you have somebody real cool and important into your home, well, that's good. But you're also gaining a little something, right? But if you welcome some, somebody into your home that is of a lower position, well, Paul says, that's love right there. That's love. Because nobody sees it and because you're dying to yourself. And so what Paul says here is being a living sacrifice is radical love for everyone, especially your enemies. You know, that's what Jesus said would set us apart from everyone else in the world. He says the pagans, unbelievers, well, they love people that they like. I mean, there's no big deal about that. Nothing impressive about loving people you like. But Jesus said, where this thing really gets separated, is whenever you love people that hate you and that persecute you and that drive you up the wall. It's enemy love that sets us apart from the world. And so Paul says, you want to be a living sacrifice? Love your enemies. Whenever they persecute you, bless them. Don't curse them under your breath. Really bless them. Really love them. This is what it means to be a living sacrifice. You know, the thing that is so shocking about how Paul fleshes this out is that he's calling us to really ordinary kind of things. It would be tempting to think, oh, I'm to be a living sacrifice, to offer myself to God. It means I've got to go to the mission field. It means I've got to do something big for God, right? That's the way we tend to talk. That's the way we evaluate things. If it's got value, it's got to be big. But Paul's saying, no. No, it's in ordinary things. It's in hidden things, because if nobody sees, it's real. So he says to be a living sacrifice is in the ordinary, difficult, day-to-day things. That's hard to do. I could try to really fire you up this morning. I might succeed or not, and you might go out, and you might do this a little bit for a little while. The question is, how do you sustain this? How does it become so real that this actually becomes your MO, how you live? I think Paul tells us in verse 1. Notice what he says here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Paul says the way that we go about this is always in view of God's mercy. What's he talking about that? in view of God's unlimited mercy and grace in the gospel. Paul says, never, ever, ever take your eyes off of this. Fix your eyes upon it, your soul upon it. Cling to it so tightly that it begins to move you and press you into a life of sacrifice. That's what Paul's calling us to here. He doesn't say, all right, this is what I want you to do. He says, no, do this in view of all that God has done for you in Christ. Whenever I think of that view, we live on a mountain. We have a lot of amazing views here. You know what my favorite view is here on the mountain? It's whenever you're going down Ox Highway, you're about to pass Rock City and you're going through the woods there, and then it turns to the left and it just like everything, the whole world opens up right there. You know, You can see North Carolina. It's awesome. And whenever I first came here, Every time I came through, I almost ran off the road because I couldn't stop looking at it. It just moved me and blew me away. Just the glory of it, just beholding it, just transfixed me. Well, to this day, I don't have the same experience. But, you know, things, things become ordinary, unfortunately. But my boys, every time we're loaded up in the minivan, headed down the mountain, and we make that turn, Hutchinson and Wynn sitting in the back seat every time say, Wow! Whoa! You know, they say, Mommy, Daddy, we're high. Look, look. Every single time. You know, things of beauty and glory, it's so easy for those things to get stale to us and to say, yeah, that's good, but whatever. But it takes a child to just remember it over and over and experience it over and over and over again. And so what Paul is saying here is that kind of thing. Behold it. Never get over the sacrifice of Christ in the gospel. Fix your eyes upon it and say constantly, Wow, look at that. Do you know what's now true for me and for you and for this world because of that? That's the kind of thing that we're to do is to be so controlled by the sacrifice, not our sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ, that we're changed forever. Amen. You see, Paul says, we don't have a God who says, sacrifice to me because you owe me. Though he could. He could say that, and he would be absolutely right in doing it. But our God says, This is sacrifice. He sacrifices his most precious possession for us. People like us. He takes his precious son and he sacrifices him as a sacrifice of atonement so that people like us can be welcomed and acceptable to God. That is the sacrifice that is to control all of our life. And so Paul says... Don't go about sacrificing as if, you know, if I sacrifice enough, God will accept me. Maybe I'll finally please him. But Paul says, no. Don't you see? He sacrificed. In view of that, you're free to offer all of yourself to him in worship. Paul says, that's your spiritual act of worship. It's the only thing that makes sense. So imagine what it would be like for you If the atoning sacrifice of Christ became your center, that is the the thing that just captivated and compelled you, how do you think it would change your life? How do you think it would change us corporately as a people? As if, as a body, we became so captivated by His sacrifice. What do you think would happen if it was our center? I suspect we would radically love one another's socks off radically really for real be real open honest with each other be devoted to each other and I bet I'll bet our neighborhoods would be totally different in our community in our world and so Paul is inviting us here behold the sacrifice of Christ and let it free you to offer everything in worship to him